that okay something will happen this is called renunciation and other shit <laughs> I'm pissed uh, okay so um, renunciation is about letting go and for monastics it means to let go of the world renounce the world but we're not monastics I'm not interested in renouncing the world in that way so it doesn't mean to uh, stop being part of the world and part of the conventional world, but how to let go in the middle of our full involvement and responsibilities in the world. That's what's being asked for us as householders, right? How do we live a full life and yet know that there's more to life than just our responsibilities and our jobs and our work and our families and all of that's great we want to we want to relate to that fully and let go fully and it's and one of my teachers always brought in this classic sufi phrase um, what does it mean to be in the world but not of it what does it mean to be in the world but not of it and that's a little bit what Buddhism is asking of us as householders, right? Because the Buddha always taught not just monastics, but what he called the fourfold Sangha, which had, was nuns, monks, um, lay, householder women, householder men. And so, um, and Bhikkhu Bodhi talked about this renunciation and what it means. And it's beautiful what he says here. He says, the tool that the Buddha holds out to free the heart and mind from desire is understanding. So now he's pointing at the first noble truth, right? The view, uh, the tool that the Buddha holds out to free the mind from desire is understanding. Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished. It's not compelling ourselves. We're not making up rules in that way. So real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished, but of changing our perspective, of changing our view, on them so that they no longer bind us, right? When we understand the nature of desire, when we investigate closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself. In this investigation, our concern must be not with what is pleasant, but with what is true. Not with what is pleasant, but what is true. We have to be prepared and willing to discover what is true, even at the cost of our comfort. Real, real security, and this is the kicker line he has here, real security always lies on the side of truth, not on the side of comfort. And that's something that is something we all learn as we mature as human beings. Real security always lies on the side of truth, not on the side of comfort. And of course, the intention in practice is very powerful if we want to wake up. I mean, I, you, you all may have different 
reasons for being here. Some, I would assume some of you would like to wake up or be enlightened or be realized or be free or be, um, I don't know what. You, you, it's somewhere, there's something in there. Whether it's known or not, there's some reason you come here or you come to Buddhism and you seek something. What are you seeking? because it's really helpful to see because whatever you're seeking, you're already intending, may that happen. That's part of the intention, otherwise you wouldn't keep coming or you wouldn't keep sitting or you wouldn't keep practicing. And of course, the Buddha was very fierce about his intention actually. And he'd lived a very uh, upper class life for his time, right? He was a prince's child and had a good life in three, three um, not monasteries, three um, palaces. palaces, thank you, three palaces. And you know, monasteries, palaces, similar, but not quite. He had three palaces, no, <laughs> he had three palaces and um, and he lived a really good life. And then when he went to practice, he really wanted to wake up. And there's in the text it says, uh, when he's sitting and he wants, he makes this intention. He says, though only my skin, sinews, and bones remain, and my blood and flesh dry up and wither, yet never from this seat will, will I stir until I have attained full awakening. That's a pretty fierce, intention, right? Everybody get that? You know, I'm sure your intentions are just as fierce as the Buddha's, but, you know, that's something, and that human beings have intentions like that. And we all have very powerful intentions, maybe they're not as dramatic or poetic as the Buddha, but we all have dramatic intentions, and we want to become aware of what do we really want and how does what do we think what do we see what do we understand and what do we want and how are we intending to make it happen because somewhere that's motivating our lives it's motivating our actions and of course similar this is a little bit in the vein of how I was talking, Suzuki Roshi talks about renunciation this way. He says, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but seeing that we can't hold on to them. Right? Seeing that we can't hold on to them. And so, and then the, so there's three different key uh, components of um, right intention, renunciation, and then uh, goodwill and harmlessness or compassion. And those are more heartfelt intentions, right? The first is very vump, based on how we see, what we understand, and then this kind of heartfelt intention for goodwill, the intention for goodwill which arises with our perception of um, wanting our happiness and that other people want happiness and seeing the unity or the 
the connectedness of all of us as human beings, all wanting to be happy, can bring goodwill towards ourselves and towards others. Because that's all human beings are doing, is they're just, this is very classical Buddhist understanding, human beings just want to be happy. And they do all kinds of things, some skillful, some not skillful, but they're all trying to make themselves happy, one way or another. Whether we like what they do or we don't like what they do, people are doing things because they, they think this will make them happy. And so it brings a kind of goodwill. It doesn't mean you agree with the people, but it brings goodwill and kindness and compassion forward. And the, and the generosity of that kind of view and that kind of understanding, that is important for our world because it's what divides our world when we don't see that everybody is, we're all here together. So Trungpa Rinpoche, he said, the kindness and generosity that we extend to ourselves is the foundation of our ability to relate to the world. Because it's the same goodwill, the same compassion that we have for ourselves that we extend outward towards other people. <clears throat> it's really the intention of goodwill is an open-heartedness that is really just the, the different components that is taught in Buddhism of loving kindness and compassion and joy and generosity and gratitude, as somebody was saying, and um, just caring about ourselves and caring about one another, caring about human beings. I'm just reflecting for a moment about myself, my own practice, and it's hard for me not to really like people these days. And I mean this even about people I don't like. <laughs> really, because I'm not, I'm an opinionated guy, I have my opinions, and, but really, when, I, when I'm not bound to my opinions, and I can just see the human being there, it's hard not to care for them because it's so magical, just life, that life happens in this form. And we also, you might, some of you might not see, we have another form of life happening here. We have a, a beautiful little dog. And, and uh, as I've said, we now have a dog in my house that my wife has. And uh, even though I'm a little bit not happy not to take care of it too much, uh, it's great to have this other life in the house, and it's really amazing. It's, oh, there's another, it's just life. And so even when I don't like my dog, I like my dog, you know? He's, I mean, he's a jerk sometimes, but it's like... But we, we're all jerks sometimes, really. That's what's most true. We're, none of us are perfect. Hmm. And so the heart being open becomes an important part of um, um, these different intentions of 
of uh, renunciation and goodwill and compassion. <clears throat> and then I think uh, here is more again from Bhikkhu Bodhi who says, when we see how our own lives are pervaded by dukkha, if you're new, dukkha means suffering or difficulty or dis-ease or discomfort. When we see how our own lives are pervaded by dukkha, how this dukkha derives from craving and clinging, and the mind, the mind inclines to renunciation, to letting go, to abandoning craving and clinging, and the different things that we crave or cling to, right? And it doesn't mean you get rid of them or you can't enjoy them or live with things. You just let go of the clinging to the things. Then, when we apply the truths in an, an, in an, an analogous way, to other living beings, the contemplation nourishes the growth of goodwill and harmlessness. We see, like ourselves, all other living beings want to be happy again, and that, like ourselves, they are subject to suffering. The consideration that all beings seek happiness causes thoughts of goodwill and the loving wish that they be happy and peaceful. The love. Uh, the loving wish that they be well, love, happy, and peaceful. The consideration that beings are exposed to suffering causes thoughts of harmlessness to arise. The compassionate wish, wish that they be free from suffering. And so compassion arises in this way, the non-harming, right? The intention for non-harming or compassion or harmlessness arises by entering into the subjectivity of others. And in meditation, we're learning how to enter into our own subjectivity. And one of the things that we all need to keep seeing is that meditation doesn't stop here. It then continues. It's taught in the four, four um, factors of mindfulness for um, aspects of mindfulness that it's both you practice internally and externally and both internally and externally so that first we want to we we want to become um, more intimate with our own subjectivity with who and what we are body heart mind and then we want to open to the subjectivity of other beings because we can feel one another or see or know one another. Whether we're saying things or not, there's, we all have a presence or a state of consciousness that's here and that can be known quite directly. And when we share our interiority in a real way, both personally and interpersonally, um, it changes life. It changes reality for ourselves and for all of us. And it can change the whole world. As uh, I think it was Longfellow, is that Henry David Longfellow? Anybody know? Yeah, close, pardon? Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. 
Thank you. Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. I'm confusing Thoreau and yes. Longfellow. Yeah. Um, uh, he said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Now that's profound Buddhist teaching. Right? If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Or another great American secret Buddhist teacher, George Washington Carver, he said, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, intolerant of the weak, and tolerant of the strong, because someday you will have been all of these. And that's a real understanding of how we use learning about our own subjectivity to relate intersubjectively. Kind of got that right. And then we can begin to see the good or the Buddha nature that's in everyone. And Frank, who died in the Holocaust in the last century, she said, in spite of everything, I believe people are truly good at heart. This is after she wrote this from the concentration camp. In spite of everything, I believe people are truly good at heart. Because really, at heart, people are good. Yeah, a couple more quotes, and then I'll end. These are both from the Dalai Lama. He said, we must have a pure, honest, and warm-hearted motivation. And on top of that, determination, optimism, hope, and the ability not to be discouraged. The whole of humanity depends on this motivation, right? And so really, he's talking about intention and what motivates us and how the world depends on that. And he's somebody who's lost everything in his world, uh, his country and his, you know, just so many people killed and a whole world destroyed. And then the last one also from the Dalai Lama, who won the Nobel Peace Prize a number of years ago. And this was one of the things he said uh, in his speech, or I think how he ended his speech. And it's part of his intention, right? This is a very beautiful, deep intention. He said, for as long as space endures, for as long as space endures, and for as long as living beings remain, for as long as living beings remain, until then may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. Until then may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. This is his intention. And I'm pretty sure this is an intention he has every day. He takes every day as part of who he is and what his life is.
So we have a couple minutes if anybody has any comments or questions or liking, not liking, reactions about anything I've said tonight about right intention. And then I'm going to give you some right intention homework for the week. Please, please, you have to do the mic, though. You turn it around and face me. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Raheem. And if your intention is very solid, but your intention is to hurt other people. Uh-huh. That's called so, wrong intention. Wrong intention. Yeah. And then, so, how would uh, goodwill and this two play together. Because you know, if you have a good will, you don't hurt other people, right? Right. So, because we have a lot of good intention, uh, fierce intention now to hurt other people. Yeah, but that kind of fierce intention is based on misunderstanding. It doesn't have right view as its basis. Right, so right. it's just intention without anything around it. Right, yeah, it, it's intention based on pain, suffering, hurt, misunderstanding, reactivity, things like ego, etc. And so, you know, and uh, people have a lot of bad intentions, right? And that's why it's good to see that the bad intentions come out of their suffering, right? Doesn't mean we agree with their intention, no, not at all, but it means we can still, even if we need to act fiercely with someone to stop them from doing something, there can still be kindness in the fierceness. And the intention is, the harmful intention is just like, just, is like mindfulness without anything else. Right, yeah, and, and even mindfulness can be misused, yes, right? Yes, Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sure, thank you. Sorry, it's just a tiny nitpick. No, but stand up to the mic. So tiny nitpick. I'm no, pretty, nitpick, please. I'm pretty sure that um, Anne Frank wrote all of her diary hiding in the attic, but after she went to the camp, she oh. was lost. Okay, so that, she hadn't been that may yet. be. I heard, it, I heard it was from, but okay. No, it's good. Let's, it's good. always good to make things clear, you know. Thank you. Anybody else? You could nitpick either way, good or bad. Please. Oh. Ke I'm Kevin. Hi, Kevin. And um, Friday I spent the day with Anna Douglas. Uh -huh. And she said something I can't get out of my mind. It was great. And I like what you said about liking people. She said you could kick them out of your house, but you can't kick them out of your heart. <laughs> that's right. And that was really, really just yeah. still with me. Right. Well, yeah. that's, that's when we start to see how meditation changes our perspective. Oh, because we can kick, kick people out of, our out of our house, but if they're still in our heart, we're suffering, right? In some way, we're still angry or we're some, we have something, right? 
or, or you know, yeah, we haven't resolved it with them and we still need to resolve it. And that's where we all need to grow up together. And I mean that in a bigger collective way. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, sometimes this comment of that it, it might get in the way of, of your actual practice. Like if you think of enlightenment and all of this uh, striving towards that, um, it, it, it can become clinging or wanting. So what's yeah. no, that's how does one sure. navigate that? Sure. I think that's, that's a really great question. It's it's a more refined understanding of how wanting to be awakened can get in the way of awakening. Mm -hmm. Because you, one can have a lot of clinging. One can have a lot of clinging for anything, whether it's material or whether it's spiritual. And clinging doesn't help. But one can also have intention, aspiration, and even desire that's wholesome. And the desire to wake up could be very wholesome. And so one learns to see the suffering of clinging that is unskillful, or the desire that is unskillful, and then the desire that is pure. And that comes with practice, in my experience. And, but it, it, and partly it comes because when, when, the, when, the, when it's not skillful, there's suffering. Great, you know, I, I almost got awakened, shit, no, not awake. you know, but it's like, you know, but I still, I, I make that intention often, really. I, I want, may, may I be as free as possible, or may I wake up fully, right? But I don't walk around all day, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm this much closer, or anything like that. I don't. I don't ever think about it again. I just make the intention, and I trust the intention. Okay. Thanks. Good. That's. I like that question. Okay. Let's stop there. Um, here's your homework for this week, for two weeks, because I won't be here next week. Um, if you want to learn about intention, then get up every day and um, set an intention for the day. Like, and it could be anything, you know, and here's what I would think, which is, um, wait a minute, make sure I'm the right one, because I wrote a few notes. Okay, this is it. Oh, okay. Um, um, okay, I will, so here's one way you could do it, and of course you'll do it your way. Like make the intention to be present, aware, awake during some part of your day that you're not always present, aware, and awake. Right? So it could be while you're commuting to work or while you're going to meetings or when you're with your kids or when you're alone 
or when you're having meals or whatever it might be, but make the intention in the morning and then do your day and then at the end of the day reflect back and consider how did it go? What happened? And what supported your being present and awake? And what got in the way of your being present and awake when you were doing the dishes or being with, you know, at work or with kids or walking, whatever it might be. And so you make an intention, and the intention can be whatever you want, but we want to see, oh, can you start to, what, what's the possibility of making an intention and seeing how it goes? And you could change your intention every day and do a different one every day, or you could do the same one every day till we meet again. Okay, is that clear? Great. And of course, you can't come in two weeks if you haven't done this. <laughs> so play with it, because it'll change your practice, meaning it'll change your life, even if it's very refined. Okay, let's sit for a minute and then we'll go. be open and wishing to share any of the goodness or blessings or benefits of our time here together. May our good fortune and the blessings of practice and being here tonight, may God in every direction, touching beings in every world, in every realm, Sending our wishes out in every way. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from confusion and misunderstanding and not seeing clearly. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken. And together may we discover our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.